My goodness me. Here it is. Predictable. Well choreographed. Perfectly rehearsed. Hello and welcome to this driving mall of episode 18 of Grassroots, the only podcast dedicated solely to the Grassroots women's game. In this accidental offside of an episode, we discuss the emotional rollercoaster of the end of season relegation and promotion battles, player recruitment and embarrassing injuries. Sherry visits a well-known Yorkshire dogging hotspot and we welcome Rachel Ancoma from the brilliant Acro Majestics rugby league team in Ghana. Oh, and the women's Six Nations has started and for once we can actually watch it. 22 months out with a triple knee operation. She runs in, tries for five. Now Lou. She has got a remarkable strike rate. And I'm Jodie. The forward who can't stop scoring. And Molly. The cannonball coming through. And I'm Matt. This is Grassroots. Well, I think from the well, 60 plus individual teams that have entered, the very first thing we're going to have to do to whittle down that list is, if they haven't listened, they're out. Yeah, absolutely. The team that will remain nameless that commented that the best thing about the pod was Rachel Burford. No shorts for you. <laughs> <laughs> How are we all? Good, good, good. Free of COVID, thankfully. Feeling a bit better now as well. I haven't stopped coughing yet, but still got a little bit of lung capacity. Good. How are you, Molly? How's the body after Sunday? You took a bit of a battering. Well, not as much of a battering as Dubs. And actually, now we've reviewed the footage, it was a, a, a shoulder-to-head tackle, which should have been a yellow card. I did wonder. There was no arms. You were carrying the ball as well, weren't you? No, I didn't actually get the ball. They'd like kicked it off. It bounced back. So I'd gone to get it. So I was going to get it. And then, yeah, she kind of ran into me. But she, So she was just like full-on running. And then it was just like, off. She shoulder barge you off it. She did. Were you knocked out, Dubs? Did you no, see no, little no. birds flying around your head? No, I was all right, actually. I had a, it just made me cry. I was all right. I got a bit of a headache afterwards, but I'm all right. You cried, Dubs. It, it, to be honest, oh, Matt, it was a very, very big hit. Dubs takes quite a lot of tackles. It was a big hit. But yes, I do think the change in the wind may be that VOs may bring sighting into grassroots rugby and we can argue the points to the ref because we've actually got evidence now. I think that would be a great thing. Can you after the event though? Yeah, it, it, can, you you can. can you argue yeah. the points after the event? Yeah. Surely is the ref's decision on the day, in the moment... Not in the pros game, and you know we want equality. Yeah, but we're not in the pros game. <laughs> Are you joking? Have you seen the calibre? This is true, actually. On that note, the referee we interviewed Fiona. in the last session, we put a little shout-out in the podcast about the tackling your own player situation. And I'm pleased to report that she came back with a voice note to clarify the situation, although I haven't actually listened to it yet because I'm going to play it live to Sherry when we do the recording with her so that we can hear her reaction also. <laughs> Sherry live. won't know what she's said. No, exactly. This <laughs> well, is true. That's part of the joy of it. Definitely. But Viona, message to you then, if we find on a video recording an act of skullduggery and foul play, <laughs> can we ask for a red card after the event at grassroots level or is it just play on? That's a great question. Over to you. Come back to us on that one. Stupid ref, stupid ref, stupid ref, stupid ref. So, we're all waiting for a scrum, and the ref starts walking over to the sideline. I'm thinking, what's the matter? He's having a heart attack. Is it what's going on? Where is he? And um, it's just been half time, and he's basically got his sweet stuck in his whistle, so he can't blow it. He had to come off all the way off from like halfway across the pitch to get another whistle. 
Yeah, we've had fantastic feedback to the competition that we put out there, and we're very excited about how that's looking. So we've had, well, about 60-odd unique teams that have entered in different parts of the UK. And I've got to say, Oldham, you really need some kit. The number of people that have entered from Oldham suggests to me that you're running around in no shorts or skirts or something. They've got a name check on the pod. They have. There will be sponsors rushing to give some kit now. But just a word of warning, those of you that enter that clearly have not listened to the pod, well, you're probably not listening to this either, to be honest, but you're going to be disqualified from the outset. So those of you that have either mentioned other podcasts have left that box blank or have written stuff which in a roundabout way says I haven't listened. No shorts for you. Keep the entries coming in. And on a serious note, the feedback has been absolutely fantastic. I might have even welled up a little bit when I read some of the nice messages that have come in. So it's a little bit weird hearing that people find us inspiring because I don't even find myself inspiring. Maybe the ones who said that we're inspiring were the ones who haven't listened. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is very true. And Katie at Penryn Ladies, apparently you listen on your turbo trainer. So that's not very grassroots doing turbo training, is it? Let's be honest. But uh, I'm glad you're using it as good motivation to get better and fitter to hopefully graduate out of grassroots rugby into something more professional. But well done. Anyway, so I thought we'd look at promotion relegation because at this stage of the season, things start getting a little bit tense, don't they? Those teams that are facing the trapdoor of doom into the bin juice leagues or those that are looking at climbing the ranks and seeing themselves up in the heady heights in the the championship and so on. So what's your experience of both promotion and relegation? I think this season, out of all of them, has been the closest, touch wood, that Crew and Antwich have ever been to relegation in the Women's League. We've always been living on a high, and I think it was us talking the other week, Matt, we were saying we've been on this graph which has just got to its pinnacle. Then we've kind of like plateaued, And then unfortunately this season after COVID, we've started to decline, not through lack of trying, just like we've really struggled this year in the league due to player retention and, you know, lots of different aspects, availability and stuff. But I think when you're winning, life's peachy. But when you start to struggle and you can't fulfil fixtures or you're scraping together 15, 16 players, I think that's when the true character of your team comes through. And definitely we've made a massive turn since Christmas and we've actually realised we've got to fight to stay up. Uh, Thankfully, we're not going down, but it does beg the question of, is it fair to have relegation this season after such a drought of rugby? So we're not conditioned to it. There's lots of different stuff that's happened over the past couple of years. And I know a lot of teams are struggling to get fixtures, which we've all said. And then equally, just to fulfil teams because people have stopped playing over COVID. So I don't know, it's quite a tricky one this year. But equally, if you're going to get promoted, you're not going to want that to be scrapped, are you? Yeah, exactly. If you're near top of the table and you're looking to go up, (laughs) you're not exactly going to agree to no one gets promoted this season. (laughs) Not if that's what you really want. I'd agree. So because I haven't really had much experience, I suppose, of being promoted or relegated because after the first season I joined, we got promoted, but I didn't really feel like I'd you know, contributed to that in any way because I was like, I'm literally just learning how to do this. I'm not entirely sure I'm standing in the right place or anything like that. So, but I do think this year has been, as uh, Molly says, kind of a real test, I think, of the strength of the leadership of the team as well, because there's lots of reasons why we've 
had a, a more challenging year you know like we've had a number of team members who've like moved away moved countries and things like that and then obviously covid so it has been kind of more challenging and i think it really shows your strong leaders you know at every area of the game and your coaching team and your captaincy and everything like that to be able to bounce back after several losses where you feel like actually understanding why you've lost and and kind of not turning on each other i think that's been a real key thing like during the games and kind of making sure that you've got that positive mentality because what you don't want it to be is an environment where people aren't going to be there for the next season you don't want to all of a sudden have lots of people leaving you because it's not a you know a nice place to be so it's that kind of balance of yeah trying to kind of keep winning games keeping that positive mentality and and trying to retain players really oh totally i totally agree i found a season where we got promoted uh, and won a cup actually one of the most stressful i've ever experienced as a coach and the reason i found it stressful was because you just felt constantly paranoid that things weren't going to go your way you felt paranoid about availability about the opposition and what they were doing i found myself watching endless videos of opposition teams and trying to figure out how i could coach the team to beat them and so on it just became all encompassing the idea of winning and in so doing you kind of forget that you're in a squad where some players are still developing and learning and some players you know, aren't enjoying the squad environment because it's suddenly ramped up a notch. And, you know, I, I remember thinking, this is all good, but what's going to be the cost of this? You know, if we go up into a league where all of a sudden it's much more difficult, and half the players do one because they didn't like being beasted week in, week out for four or five weeks at the end of the season, then what's the point? And we'll just end up coming straight back down again. When we said we were going to talk about promotion and relegation, I actually thought about this and realised, actually, I've never been in a team that's been relegated. We've only ever been promoted. So played for Ecclesall and we got promoted three seasons in a row. And then obviously played for Crew Nantwich and then we've either been promoted or stayed the same. However, I think that's a very stressful situation to be in. So pushing for promotion and, and the pressure that that brings, actually. And I think if you're near the top of the table, I just think it adds that extra layer of stress <laughs> you know when you're thinking oh my god we can't afford to lose this game what are we going to do to make sure that we don't and whereas I think you know when you're towards the bottom of the table and you are looking at relegation I think actually if, if or when you do get relegated it really does reduce the stress and the pressure and games become more enjoyable and you get more competitive games because you know that when you're at the bottom of a league you're there because you've probably lost most of your games <laughs> It's never enjoyable to lose a match, ever. To actually go down a league is not actually the worst thing in the world if you're in that situation, don't you think? Yeah, I agree. And I think this weekend with Italy says it all. And I know obviously we're talking grassroots, but like imagine being Italy in the grassroots game. Imagine not of winning a game for that length of time. And some teams are in the bottom of NC2 and cannot see a way out. And that victory, I can only imagine how good that must feel. Yeah, we just saw the players' reactions, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, we've all been in some matches like that where it's just meant the absolute world and you can't really believe it. <laughs> totally. You know, I've been relegated once as a player and I'm not going to lie, when it became apparent in the season that it was a lost cause and we had absolutely no mathematical chance of retaining our position in the league we were in, it was actually 
a massive weight off because exactly as you've talked about, we've struggled all season. Every single game has been a fight for availability. Every single game we were putting out a half-baked team against better opposition. People getting hurt, people getting fed up with it. We're having to travel long distances to games and so on. We just weren't good enough as a bottom line. And there's no way we were going to get better without recruiting a load of new players. And the whole experience was not fun, being brutally honest. So when the trapdoor opened and down we fell, I remember feeling actually a great sense of relief because we kept the squad together. We were now hopefully going to be playing at a level that was suitable for us. And lo and behold, because we went back into the next season, whilst we weren't good enough to get promoted back into the league we'd been relegated from, the game suddenly became a lot more enjoyable and much more at the level we were playing at, I guess. So the whole thing became a lot less stressful. And, you know, I guess what I'm saying is that teams will find their level, you know, through playing fixture after fixture. And that might not be the level you want right now, but I think you have to think about what the bigger picture is sometimes and about player attention, enjoyment and going out and winning at least half your fixtures is, is a good aim, really. Yeah, we were talking about this in in the like game. We were like, actually, you need to enjoy yourself. You come to play rugby to have fun. So when you're going out there, yes, you're going to get nervous. And yes, we want to win the game. But actually, we should be having fun as well. And yeah, winning and losing is, is not the be all and end all. And it's not everything about rugby. It's the other parts of rugby that that's why we play. Totally. But I think it's a really good exercise sometimes is to kind of figure out what you what you are as a team, looking at some of your parts and thinking, what are our ambitions? And some teams, you know, like the Sail 1861s, have designs on being in the very top league they can be in. Stop it. Not, not next season, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly. No cigars. But, but um, <laughs> you've got that aim, you've got that ambition to be the best team you can be. And therefore, your culture has to support that, doesn't it? You have to have a culture that's much more professional. You have to have no train, no play rules in place. You have to build an infrastructure that can support a team that's got a lot more ambition as a playing squad. But with that comes some downsides. It's not always a nice environment to play. It's not always the right place to start playing when you haven't played before. It's certainly not great when you have difficulties with, say, work or form or fitness. So those sorts of squads, they'll do their thing. But I think for everybody else, like there's no point in setting an objective to be the best team in the county or whatever, when really the sum of your parts and the culture of your team doesn't really support that. I think you've got to really set your goal and it's not necessarily promotion. If I was setting a goal, it would probably be actually really enjoy playing rugby and as many properly competitive games as possible and and by that I mean actually they're really close fought matches so it's like an even playing field totally although saying that I do fucking love it at this stage of the season when you start seeing the results coming in when you're not involved in it when you're mathematically out of the running for either the drop or the promotion it's really quite fun seeing all the other teams that are fighting for promotion this is a bit like, sit back and watch the show. It's like Hunger Games. <laughs> um, yeah. We play other teams and you know neither of you are in the running, but you're like, yes, you beat so-and-so or, you know, it does feel quite like you're, you're in the same boat as a lot of people. There's a lot of joy in that. <laughs> totally. If I actually, you weren't around then, but do you remember a few years ago when we were neck and neck with, should we say that? Should we say Southport? We were neck and neck with Southport. Are we over league. it now? No, we're not over it now. Yeah. We won, so it's fine. I'm not sure they're over it. <laughs> because <laughs> when we played them at home. Oh, my God. At yeah. their home, and that was, I'm not over it. 
that's where we needed Vio and some. In fact, Viona, you can answer another question for us. What happens when there's an injury on the pitch, meaning you have to change pitches, but because of the 70 mile an hour headwind, the end you play from has a major impact on the outcome of the game. So is a team allowed to basically engineer it so that they get tailwind both ends? Question. Mm. They were they were so smug with that. They were. What I found really amusing was at the end of the season when all the various points had come in I'd figured out how the maths worked which is rare for me and they won their last game and we had a team cancel on us at the last minute and they didn't realize that when there's a cancellation of a fixture that the bonus points don't apply to any team in on that game or something like that anyway so I was figuring this out and trying to work out with the RFU rep what that meant for the final positions in the league meanwhile Southport were celebrating like it was 1999 again and were posting all over social media. It was media, so awkward. Like, how much it meant for them. It was so awkward. They were literally putting videos up and heartfelt Twitter messages about how much winning the league meant to them. And I was like, uh, the RFU might have something to say about this. Awkward. It was a little awkward. So when the final league positions came in and we were on top, it was like, <laughs> in your sorry, face, sorry. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. There's going to be some really interesting games in the next couple of weeks for the teams definitely anyway so those of you that are out there fighting for promotion good luck play hard but don't forget that the rest of your squad will have to be in a higher league next season so you piss them off there's always that worry though isn't there that if oh, you get totally. promoted the league you go into you're gonna get absolutely beasted every week and, and you really have to question are we good enough to go up to a different league and are we going to be competitive within that league Do you remember that happened to Northwich? Yeah, and Sefton. So Sefton obviously got promoted from our league last season. Bless them. Like I spoke to the captain and a couple of people. They've not won one game this season. They've been hit massively by COVID, people leaving. We said the feeling of losing every week does take the enjoyment out of rugby a little bit. So unfortunately, Sefton are going to be coming straight back down to us which is great news because it means that Bishop Auckland or Sheffield will get promoted and we have one less stretch of travel to do next season. But rubbish feeling for for Sefton. And one less massive kicking, both physically and on the scoreboard. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But it's difficult, isn't it? Because I remember when it happened to Northwich, this is going back a few years now, they won the league. And I remember they were given the option of going up or staying in the league that they were in. So they had a playoff match to go up into into the next league. And historically, they'd lost that playoff match. So they'd always won the league and then then lost the playoff match. But they actually won this one and went up into the what would have been Championship 1 or something like that. Pretty much the same day they went up, about five players announced their retirement from <sighs> rugby. And yeah, or went off and had babies or relocated or whatever. And they literally went into the next season against the likes of you know Waterloo and DMP and all of these guys <laughs> with about eight players. And I went to do a coaching session with them. And this reminds me of the Championship 1 team back in the day. And half of their team were literally learning Tower of Power. <laughs> and, then oh, they going, and they were going to go no. off and play. Oh, yeah. no. I think every now and again, you see these messages coming around saying, guys, is it, can anyone play this weekend? We're a bit short. It's like, not in your life. <laughs> no chance. <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> Yeah, so here's a really good one. In the Women's National Challenge 2 Midlands South League, there's old Albanians ladies that are currently sitting at the top of the league with 49 points, having played 10 fixtures. And then there's Welling Garden ladies that are in second position on 39 points. So that's going to be an interesting run in, isn't it? Because by the looks of it, old Albanians 
going to have to play uh, one of the teams that are lower down the league, which you think they probably win. What often happens this stage of the season, the teams that are really struggling, they tend to cancel. I've seen quite a few of those going around the Women's Rugby Network. And it's happened to us, what, two or three times in the, in the latter stages of the season? Well, you're all geared up to play. The match really matters. Yeah, it's a cringe And then the teams' positions just pull out. Because the teams that struggle, and they've had lots of cancellations throughout the season, they have to catch up their fixtures in a really short window. And a lot of them just think, nah. We've got a team in our, uh, and it's interesting from that relegation perspective. So Darlington, for a number of reasons, haven't been able to play a lot of their games. And you're kind of like, you've still got a lot of games to play. Most of us have kind of got two games left of the season and you're like how are you going to fit all of these in you know they're a bit further out so it's not as easy really yeah it's just not going to happen is it this season is definitely different to most as well purely because of covid and i'm not sure even next season will be a hugely different season but covid's still going to be with us and it's still going to impact teams we haven't got jody tonight jody's unfortunately very well so knock on knock off I have to skip an episode unless we can get Sherry to do it on the recording in a couple of days. Oh, God. Um, that might be a bridge <laughs> too far. I'm, I'm not sure that it'd work. Has um, Sherry progressed her application to I'm a Celebrity yet? I don't think she's made the audition No, that was a stage. genuine question. She wants to apply. Can, like, normal people apply? I suppose she's sort of There's semi-celebrity. There's normal stage. about Sherry. That's why it's called I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. I think that's what she's aiming for, isn't it? She's trying to get a good following. How do you classify a celebrity? Well, how many followers has she got on a gram? Let's have a look. <laughs> she is a local celebrity, not always for the right reasons. She needs to get chobs on her social media profile and get her on TikTok. She's only got 141. Yeah, she's not famous yet. 141 followers. She's not famous yet. So, listeners, find Shez Says on Instagram, follow her, get everybody else to do so. And then I think what we'll have to do is start a, a grassroots campaign to get Sherry noticed. Maybe I'll I'll message yeah, Victoria Rush because Victoria knows a few people in the that uh, are well connected. Get her involved with some fairly influential people. Then who knows? But other than that, I think all we're going to have to do is find out where Anton Deck live, get the fake taxi, and take Sherry around the house. Do not tell <laughs> Sherry where they live for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> they don't live together. Of course they don't. It's just when you talk about them as Anton Deck, you kind of just presume they live together. They can't live anywhere where the only way to get there is on the motorway. Oh, God, no, because she doesn't drive on the motorway. <laughs> we need to find a way of pushing Sherry. I'm a celebrity status because at the moment she's lagging badly behind some random TikTokers and some washed up newsreaders. So we have to get on it. Oh, before we start, I want to just give a quick shout out. So, those of you that listen regularly will have heard Nick on the podcast a few times. So Nick's a good friend of ours and she decided to retire from the game after the game on Sunday that we've just had. Big shout Hang out to on. Nick. She forgot to mention it to most of us. Is she? <laughs> yes. Yeah, she didn't tell anyone that. And also she's already retired once. She can't keep having every year a little celebration, presents. She's already left once. She'll be back for Sheffield in two weeks. Does it mean that she's finished for the season yeah. and she'll be back next season? <laughs> yeah, that's it. She's retired for this season. Having a rest. So she told me that she, because she's 47 and she wants to devote her life to wellness, wild swimming. And cock. <laughs> she, told oh. me, she, told me a, she told me a different story. 
She told me that she uh, she was retiring, got a child that's come up to the uh, adults team, so it's one in, one out. I was like, oh, uh, is it back? exactly. <laughs> I call bullshit. Me yeah. too. Well, she has got a new boyfriend as well, so something's not right here. So, Joyce, I was about to give you a really heartfelt shout out and say nice things about you as a player. <laughs> no, you denied. <laughs> but having discussed it with Molly and Dubs, it sounds as if this might just be a, an attention-seeking campaign. It might be a cock break. A cock break. <laughs> it might be. It definitely is. So basically, Nick's comes to the conclusion that the rugby bus hits so hard that she's up on blocks for far too many days and it's affecting her current relationship. Nick. Sort yourself out. You have to clarify this. Sort yourself out. Yeah, definitely. You've got at least, what, three more seasons left, didn't you? Yeah. At least. There's that lady that was on the Women's Rugby Network who's 75 and she's still playing rugby league. So come on, Joyce. Can't hang up your boots yet. I think we'll definitely cover retirement in an episode because I think it's nice to do that. Probably be some teams out there that are saying goodbye genuinely to players that are hanging out their boots rather than those that hang out their boots every year for a bit of attention. For a party yeah. is basically <laughs> what she wanted. <laughs> uh. Honestly, like she just dropped it in yesterday while I told the captain, and as we've established on previous episodes, Casey's organisation and memory skills are not the best. So she just waltzed in and was like, yeah, it's my last game. And I was like, what? Well, Mary told me. She yeah, was, I was like, like, oh, I would have thought we were doing a shout out to uh, Joyce because it's her last game. I was like, is it? Oh, she's probably feeling like she has hung up her boots and no one gives a shit. Oh, we do give a shit, Joyce. She needs to mention it then. <laughs> well, we don't because she's not hanging her boots up. That's why. <laughs> so tell what we do then. So Joyce, if you are genuinely retiring, Thanks for your service. You've been a great teammate, great chairperson of the rugby club as well, great servant of the game. If you're not retiring, then sort your shit out, get your boots back on. Stop whining. Yeah. He's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I, the rock, I, the river, I, the tree, I am yours. Your passages have been paid. Inch by inch, play by play, till we're finished. The Greeks had Socrates, the Romans had Cicero, the French Descartes, and this is the Shakespeare of grassroots women's rugby. This is where legends are made. Shez says. I don't even know how podcast is. You like that the other night when I checked us in at Big Baps? You were ever going to check us in anywhere, Shez? A dogging hotspot in North Yorkshire was likely to be it. And the fact that it was called the Big Baps Cafe Big Baps Cafe was even more beautiful. Did you see yeah. anything interesting there? Quite a lot of uh, sex paraphernalia in the bushes. What classifies sex paraphernalia? Used condoms. Okay. Bongella lids. <laughs> Pseudocreme pots. Like an art installation of the leftos, they couldn't they? Vibration. Lots of Volterol. Cashew nuts. Couple of pillows with teeth marks in them. Yeah. Cashew nuts. Yeah. What, what kind of sexual aid is that? A cashew nut. Just takes the edge off. And if we're like any education. You munch them while you're receiving, it takes the mind off it. <laughs> Why particularly cashew nuts? The soft. Well, a pistachio would be a bit of a distraction, wouldn't it? Just imagine trying to get that out of the shell when someone's coming up from well, behind. Well, you, you wouldn't be able to use your hands. You'd have to get off your elbows, <laughs> wouldn't you? I've not got that core strength, to be honest, Matt. <laughs> Have you ever tried to peel a pistachio nut with handcuffs on? I don't think it's doable. <laughs> to be honest, no, but I do think that now needs to be a challenge on the next rugby night out. 
assume the position and then try and peel a Kashuna. We'll do it at the end of season. It's going to need livening up. I've gone back to 15 hours of speeches. I'm taking two litres of vodka. One won't even do it. I'm cutting your veins open and pouring it straight in for you. Just take out the middleman. They've run a book on how long is it going to be, so what does that tell you? Well, that was a year, wasn't it, where they'd hired a band and the band had to, was going to be playing after the speeches, but the licence only went till midnight. And the speeches finished at quarter to midnight. So the band <laughs> went on, played American Pie, and then fucked off. That's about right. Is that when we found some knickers on the cricket pitch? Oh, they were Debs's. Oh, oh were they? That was the I... night of the infamous stockings, wasn't it? Oh, the stockings. The Zebras. The stockings. Why was she wearing stockings? I don't know, but she hasn't worn them since. She can't find them, that's why. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Everyone taking the piss out of Debs are wearing stockings. No, yeah. it was in fact by the end of the night she drank nearly an entire bottle of gin. Is that it? And she couldn't hardly, yeah, and she couldn't, she couldn't stand up. You make it sound like that's a lot. Yeah, but yeah. she was staggering around outside trying to pull her stockings back up. But when she pulled one up, Katie would pull the other one down. <laughs> and then so she was staggering around, literally on one foot, kept falling over. And then at one point, Katie managed to pull both of her stockings down, and then tried to take them clean off her feet. Oh my god! And then Debs, who's for our millions of listeners, is one of the nicest, gentlest people you'll meet. Until she's had a litre of gin. Got slightly aggro. Yeah, she got a little bit Warrington, didn't she? Started uh, <laughs> throwing a few f bombs and threatening to rip out a few throats just because she wanted to pull her stockings up nice and neat. Oh great! I hope she's going to the do. She's going to get plied. Just like to say, you say Debs is the nicest person, but on that pitch, she can lose her shit quite quickly. She is usually the instigator of most fights. But she always apologises afterwards. Oh, well, that's like, right apologising. Yeah. yeah, she'll knock the fuck out of someone, then ask them round for afternoon tea. Well, she nearly cost me future children by. <laughs> grabbing not just the tackle bag but my testicles as well why are you planning on having more children that's a bit worrying when you've already got a ginger but now you've got to keep your options open (laughs) yeah no yeah no yeah all right vicky pollard over there (laughs) (laughs) we interviewed viola bruns a couple of weeks ago for the podcast so she's a a female referee that's uh, refereeing to a pretty high standard both in the women's and the men's game so the interview will be out in the next episode i forgot to ask her during the interview about the technical point that are you allowed to tackle your own teammate? So we put a little shout out to her in the last podcast about whether she could come back to us and perhaps clarify this extremely important and uh, pressing issue across most of the women's teams. And uh, she came back to us a little voice note anyway. So I'm going to play this for you now. Hello, Matt, the girls, the listeners, and especially Shez. You ask in episode 17 whether you're allowed to tackle a teammate. Now, if anyone else had asked this question, I'd be very confused. But of course, I can completely understand why it is important for Shez to know. <laughs> My first question is, yeah, probably this is absolutely fine as long as it isn't dangerous. But being the law's nose that every referee is, I decided to consult the law book to try and get Shez and the listeners a definite answer. <laughs> now, what you might be interested to know is that Law 14 says that for a tackle to occur, the ball carrier is held and brought to ground by one or more opponents. What this is saying is that effectively, unless it is an opponent tackling the ball carrier, it isn't a tackle. So if we take this at face value, it is actually physically impossible to tackle your own player. I bet it isn't. I bet you I can do it. What Chez wants to know, rather than just whether it's possible, is actually whether it's legal. Well, Chez, 
You won't find a law that specifically prohibits you from bringing a teammate to floor if we say that this situation isn't a tackle. However, if you do so dangerously or in a way that stops the opposition from fairly competing for the ball, don't be surprised if you are sanctioned. For example, Law 9.26 says that if you lift your teammate, you would have to lower them to ground safely or the opposition (laughs) could expect a free kick. Also, if you got between your teammate who had the ball and the opposition, you might cause an obstruction, which could be a scrum or a penalty. Look, the important thing to note with things like this is any time something unusual happens on a pitch, you force a referee to make a decision they've never had to make before. (laughs) And whatever it is, you'll have to respect it. And let's be fair, Shez, you probably won't like it. As my mother would say, if you play stupid games, you very well might win stupid prizes. (laughs) Excellent. So what I take from that is that uh, Shaz, give it a go. You coming to Stafford tomorrow night, anybody? Uh, Keel, 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 Keel Uni. Yeah, you coming? No, Can't, I'm afraid no, not Strang- tomorrow. Strangely, a four-hour drive to Keel doesn't appeal to me on a Friday night. <laughs> Why? I throw in a bag of cashews. Yeah, but you're going to tackle me. <laughs> no, you. But I'm it not. won't be a tackle. You're not Joyce. one of the chosen ones. Oh. I feel honoured. I'm retired anyway, I can't. I was going to say, anyway, you're retired. I am retired. Thank you very much. Why have you retired? What's that about? I've dropped. dropped. She's had enough for this season. She'll carry on again next Basically, season. Seriously, like my hand. Look at the state of my hand. I look like I've been cage fighting. I was chatting away to someone and they said, I really must ask, what have you done to your hand? I went, oh, cage fighting. And they went, oh, gosh. And then we carried on talking. And it was only after they left the shop did I realise I hadn't corrected them? <laughs> so they now think there's some fat 47-year-old who's in some part of some weird cage-fighting group. In <laughs> you got attacked by a feral squirrel or something while you were yeah, you should have done. out climbing. Yeah. You said oh, the dogging got a bit feisty one night yeah. up in Bagdellet. <laughs> Can't believe you didn't think of dogging straight away. You just said you, you trapped the, your hand in the boot while changing passengers. <laughs> I have so much to learn. Oh, you, so you should have said, I bent down to pick up the WD-40 and someone reversed over my hand. <laughs> <laughs> Sherry's obviously recalling some past experience here. Well, I'm just wondering whether there's some stories behind these, but I feel that we're probably short of time and it will take a very, very terrible turn yet again. <laughs> and I will be blamed for lowering the tone of said podcast. So essentially what I've deduced from what Fiona just said is you can tackle your own teammate Provided it doesn't cause an obstruction to your position, providing it's done legally and you look after the safety of the player involved. So, it says and you don't in other call words, it a tackle. It said you can lift them up as long as you safely put them down. So I could smash someone and then gently lay them down on the floor. Yeah, I don't think you're allowed to spear them. I think that is illegal. Keep your spearing for the dogging, Joyce, Joyce, please. <laughs> so you've got to plan this carefully, Shaz, because... You've got to tackle them in open play, haven't you, away from the opposition? No, it'll be unexpected when it happens. The play will be going on over there somewhere. I will go and find them. You're just basically going to assault your own player. Yeah, because they'll wind me up and wind me up and there'll become a point when I snap. They won't know. Nobody will know that bit's happened, only me. 
then I'll just go and find them wherever they are. It won't be round the ball. If they haven't got the ball, then that's not a tackle, is it? So as long as they're not holding the ball... Well, no, that's a good point, actually. It can't be called a tackle. You can only tackle someone with a ball, isn't it? So that is technically a tackle. You can't yeah. tackle somebody off the ball. So they haven't got the ball at all. That's just plain assault. That's not even, <laughs> yeah. that's not even a rugby thing. I'll, oh, I'll have to get somebody from the sideline to pass me the spare ball, throw it to them <laughs> unexpectedly. Oi, here, whack! So you're tackled with a ball, not the match ball. Fiona, this is getting deep. Well, that's never going to happen, is it? Because we, first of all, only ever have one ball and we're usually waiting for that to be returned from the sheep field two miles away. Yeah, but if I'm near the sideline when I snap, I could just get someone to lob me in the spare one, shout their name, chuck it at them, they'll turn around, they'll automatically catch it because you just would, wouldn't you? And it'd be too late. It will have happened by, before they realise what's going on. <laughs> I feel we need to make this happen. I don't even think the ref will see it because she'll be over there where the play is, where I should probably be. <laughs> so you're basically going to take two players out of play just to get your revenge. revenge. Yeah. But to be honest, that's how I ended up breaking my ankle was basically trying to take out a player that didn't have a ball. I mean, admittedly, I fell over them. It didn't end well for you, did it? Breaking your ankle, Joyce. Yeah. Was it broken, was it actually? It was actually broken. I thought it was just a bit hurty. It was yeah, a little, little bit hurty, but no, there was a fractury brokey boat on there, yes. Was there? Yeah. Well, unless there's a bone poking out, it's not broken. Play on, isn't it? You are a prop after all. I did actually try to play on. Someone kicked me in it and nearly vomited. Lou offered me a pint. <laughs> Always happy to help. To be honest, I struggled to get my breakfast down post-game with the pain of it. That's how bad it was. What yeah. is the most ridiculous injury we've ever seen, though? Bruce cocked it. Remember, it did me coxit. How did you do that, Jerry? Was it? I got tackled, and as I went... In the game? Yes. It was on the 3G or 4G. 4G. I got tackled, but I got, like, slam-dunked, and it was me coxit. On your ass. Yeah, that hit the... Oh, my God, who were you playing against? Jeff Capes? Uh, no, Big Daddy. <laughs> Shirley Daddy. Crabtree. Was that not playing the RAF? Because they were tiny, but crikey, they just picked you up and dropped you. It was a shit-horrible winter day. Was it and the our... Navy? I don't know. Our pitch was flooded. That's why it That's got me RAF. there at the last minute. It was snowing and everything. It was really bad. I remember I had a kickoff in the car park with the woman before over the parking. So I was already fuming. You got picked up, dumped on your backside. Coxis. Coxis. And then did you play on? I, I did for a bit. I tried to because I am one of them. No, I'm all right. I'm all right. And then after five minutes, I realized I absolutely was not all right. And I wasn't all right for about six weeks. I couldn't sit. Dogging was out. There was no dogging. Absolutely not. I mean, your squats must have been good because you wouldn't have been able to put your ass on the seat for particularly long, could you, when you'd done your cuts? No, I couldn't. I couldn't sit. And if I did manage to sit, I couldn't stand. I couldn't get from sitting to standing without assistance. I mean, I've done this where you've injured your breast, the bone, whatever that bit is between your tits. The dick. And the, the most painful thing is, is when you roll over in the night. Ribs. Not, yeah. <laughs> not your ribs. There's some, there's, some, there's, some, there's some metally bit, medical term. But when you roll, your boob moves and it's the most painful thing ever. So you basically have to sleep holding one of your tits so it doesn't move in the That's night. That's a bit averted. That's a painful injury. I think Kez trying to eat Goose's eyeball was probably the... Most weirdest. That was disgusting. Actually, that was having to gruesome. pull somebody's tooth out of oh, somebody's don't. eyebrow was not a nice thing. It wasn't good. Yeah. Not Plus, good. I was really hungover. 
Oh, God, I was hanging. It was your <laughs> birthday, day. wasn't it? That was the development game. So I had to literally, a bit like the fruit pastels moment, but these were Haribos. I had to literally have to wedge a whole load of Haribos in my mouth to give me some sugar to go on because I was having a little dribbly snooze on the side, trying to sleep off the alcohol. <laughs> Just go back a step there, Joyce. So how did you end up bruising that bit of your body? It's the bit between Must your... Must be called your breastbone, surely. The runway, yes. <laughs> The resting point, yeah. Stretching nuts there. When you're in the scrum and you're over your, your hooker, it's been turned. It's just ripped your arm. And basically, I just ripped my tip. Well, normally you know, that just tr- would hurt my arm. I'm a prop. I'm being dramatic. It ripped my tit. How bizarre. <laughs> can't strange it. Well, you can. You can't strap a bat, no. No, you, you can strap a bat. You can't, yeah. Just don't get your teammates to take the tape off because they take your nipple with you. So it was more like a muscle thing than a bruise? It was a muscle thing. It was muscular, yeah. But, oh, my God, it was more painful than ribs. Never heard of that before. Yeah. I'm going to have to look at the medical term for it. Do you have any long-term damage? Uh, It's hard to say, really. Yeah, I haven't. Right. Talk amongst yourselves. I'm going to Google. Ripped tit. (laughs) (laughs) I doubt you'll find that. You'll more than likely find Broxton Roundabout. (laughs) Or Big Bap's Cafe. You see that the other day, Louise Reed? Yeah, what did you me on that for there was this news article circling about this renowned dogging site in north yorkshire called the big baps cafe and uh, it just so happened that sherry was in the vicinity all sorts of paraphernalia found in the bushes but there is a big baps cafe in, in crew yeah well it wasn't there it was in yorkshire so i yeah. checked us in there late at night that's big man baps cafe in crew yeah. <laughs> well, well on baps and boobs urban dictionary for ripped tits to embark on an adventure to do something enthusiastically i think i might rebrand just to rip tits though don't you <laughs> when you rip to the tits that means you're you're muscly doesn't it we've taken the two out it's just ripped tits yeah let's rip tits as in go on an adventure can you pull muscles in your breasts pectoral muscle there we go it's your pectoral muscle I... so you can pull your pectoral muscle yeah. You don't quite get why you had to go to sleep holding one tit, though. Because it Imagine moves. Carrie so... doing that. <laughs> She'd wake up with a broken arm. Yeah. You get pain in your upper arm, weakness, bruising, dimpling. Nothing a lemsit wouldn't have put right, Joyce. No, I'm, I'm just being dramatic. A bit of Alterol would have been absolutely fine. Could have <laughs> yeah. just wedged the whole tube between your baps with the lid off, let it just seep out <laughs> through the night. Oh, <laughs> There's images there that I, I'm not going to get rid of for quite some time. <laughs> some, some more scarring. Yeah, and another reason why Joyce retired, she just couldn't cope. This is the conversation that Sherry usually has with me halfway through a game. <laughs> Mid scrum. Mid scrum. Hey, Joyce, ever done? Da-da-da. Yeah, tried peeling pistachios with handcuffs on. Yeah. shoes. You just bring the baby's arm and get it over and done with. It's broken. How do you break the baby's arm? It's had its day. The veins have like Overuse. worn down. <laughs> it's too smooth now. It's, maybe there's a new model. Maybe there's a newer version. Maybe you could get sponsored by them. Give it a proper send-off, Sherry. Maybe a little ceremony. I've it into the River Weaver off Wealth Road Bridge, currently floating towards Harrison's. With a little note on it. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a little note on it. You know, like what you put with a helium yeah. balloon and you send it off. So they could let me know how far it got. See who sends it back. Vibrator in a bottle. <laughs> <laughs> we just lob it into the seat. It's not really a bottle. It's more of a magnum, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. wash up yeah. in Bogner. <laughs> That'll be on the front page of the sun. <laughs> I've signed it, Shed says. 
I've laminated the thing so it can't wear off. Then you really would be famous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you mean it really would be? I already really am. All for the wrong reasons. <laughs> I could open your pub. I could cut the ribbon. Put it into a bottle. And the game is a bit like a grown-up hide-and-seek. You have to hide it in somebody else's clubhouse. Yeah, let's play that. Let's play find the baby's arm. You play hide and seek for years. Because it's got a sucker on the end of it, so you could literally sucker it to anything. Yeah, and then they have to then pass it on and get rid of it as soon as they can. So it's like hot potato, but with but it's, um, hide the sausage. Hide the sausage. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of that's been played in every rugby club up and down the country for years. We're just upgrading it. You could stick it to the kitchen light or anything. You'd literally be there making a quiche Lorraine. And the baby mum <laughs> drops down and slaps you in the chops. Drops right into your blancmange. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus God. <laughs> I'm conscious that I've got work to do. So, anyway. Yeah, me too. Sorry. Well, I haven't. I'm going paddleboarding and I won't catch a sunset. Yeah, oh, fuck you. Joy. Um, <laughs> not fair. Not fair. <laughs> Rugby is hard enough without your equipment letting you down. From badly fitting shirts to shorts that cut off your circulation, many sportswear manufacturers haven't worked out how to make kit that fits for the rich variety of women's shapes and sizes. After years of development, feedback and research, Halbro have done what many bigger sportswear brands have yet to achieve, designed a playing kit specifically to fit the female form. With curves in all the right places, four-way stretch, and a cut to suit all shapes and sizes, Halborough are uniquely placed to give your team the shirts they deserve. For more information, contact Fergus at halborough.com. To learn more about what Halborough can do for you, and to see some amazing case studies, visit www.halborough.com forward slash women's hyphen rugby. And don't forget to mention Grassroots. They're onto shares. Oh. It's quite a serious one, actually. Oh, God, don't. They're onto shares. I've enjoyed listening to you over the last couple of weeks and find your take on life fascinating. I'm actually surprised you are a real person. My question is this. I have a very busy life with a full-on job and two very active children. I find it very hard to balance family life with rugby and particularly keeping marital relations harmonious when I'm rushed off my feet and battered from the rugby bus. What advice can you give me to keep sane? Yours, Deborah from Chelmsford Ladies. Get divorced. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah. Do what Lou did. Just pack up. Pack up your troubles in your old kit bag. Quite literally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> She'll just have to make time. You have to grab half an hour here and there whenever you can. Or you can do two things at once. You can, like, be having sex with your husband and making the tea if the kids aren't. <laughs> It's about multitasking. She's obviously trying to do one thing at a time. That's never going to work. Sunday night's probably the ideal time. She could be a bit of a pillar princess and then just catch up with all the Facebook chat and yeah. messages post-game. Exactly. Yeah. She could be sending emails at the same time. There's lots that can be done all at once. There you go, Deborah. Multitasking, that's the way forward. Or divorce. One or of divorce. the two. Yeah. But it sounds a bit the multitasking will eventually result in divorce. Yeah. If you're having sex whilst sending Facebook messages and making the kids tea. And then you could always have an Apple Watch that decides to start recording mid-shag. That's never good.
Does this happen to you, Sherry? It's like, well, you it's like well, you've randomly, my watch keeps ringing people, and it does worry me that at some point, very soon, it's going to ring someone at the incorrect time, <laughs> and it's going to be the incorrect person, and it's not going to end very well. There's a simple solution to this, Sherry. Just take your watch off. Yeah, but I can't, can I? I'm checking how long I've got to do the next job. That's what I'm all about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm replying to emails on my watch at the time. You're trying to get your steps up as well, aren't you? <laughs> I'm replying to emails on my watch while I'm having sex. I can't take the watch off. I'm also working at the same time. I just move it over to my left wrist and then put it back on the right one after. <laughs> <laughs> and the scary thing is, she's not joking. <laughs> not that you've actually thought this through. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I need me right hand to type. So I'm going to be left wrist. <laughs> I did wonder where that was going then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Is that why I keep getting messages from you that are, like, spelt with random words and yeah. characters in all the wrong place? I've got it programmed in now. You know, it sends its own reply now, like, can I call you later? Because I don't <laughs> have to type that. I just press send, 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 send. All right, I'm sending, I'm sending. <laughs> <laughs> can I call you later? I'm in a meeting. <laughs> Can't talk right and now. And if you ever get that message from Sherry again, you know that she isn't in a meeting. If you ever get can't talk right now, it's because I'm biting the pillow. Particularly when it's spelled M-E-A-T. I'm getting a meeting. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting a meeting. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, please change that to be your message. <laughs> well, yeah, can you? <laughs> Although I think I'd be a little bit traumatised to get that as a return message from you not answering the phone. What? A bit of a meeting? Although, actually, if you'd answered the phone, it'd be a little bit more traumatising. <laughs> <laughs> or if my watch decides to answer for me. <laughs> you just got to get some Volta on. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's better than having a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> no, is it? <laughs> I don't know. You tell me, Batty. Sure, there was a story you told me. That's for another time. I know, Matt Cliffhanger. Time to end the show. I'm just the tip, yeah. <laughs> This is Molly's Grassroots Salutes. So this weekend, it was a little bit like we were famous, looking at the number of people taking photographs of us. But part of that was because uh, some of the, well, one of the photographers had contacted us because he needed to do some women's sport in his portfolio. But I just thought it'd be nice to do a grassroots salute for all of the photographers that come and take photos of our games and give us the images for free for us to kind of use. Because as a player, it's really lovely to have a record of something that you're doing. And, you know, sometimes it's showing you doing a great carry or a tackle and things like that. And it's really nice to share that. It also shares some flipping horrendous photos of people's faces in in very odd positions but I think it also does a lot to kind of promote the sport so we're sharing them on our social media channels and and hopefully that then entices some more people to join us so so yeah I just wanted to do a salute to all of the photographers that come down because I think it's a really great thing. Yeah I think that's brilliant it seemed to happen a few years ago when amateur photographers started to come down to watch rugby and so on and to start off with it was like one or two people doing some pretty average photography that was still nice to see. But these guys, are, I say guys, these people who are taking pictures are mega skilled now. At our club, we got Sue, we got Pete, other Pete. The photos they're taking are really, really high quality and not only give a great record to the game, it also 
gives clubs a real feeling that they've got some great stuff to share. And I guess they're able to feel, even if it's for just 80 minutes, like they're not just running around in the mud making a mess of things. Yeah, interesting. It's dead nice that these people actually take their own time out and come and take some pictures. And it's it's really cool to actually see some pictures of yourself playing rugby. I really like that. However, we were talking to one of the photographers, was it this weekend, Matt? And he was like, yeah, yeah, you know, I try to, I try to sort of take the pictures where it's great play or balls in hand or great positional play or something exciting's happened and then I post them on the Facebook site and the first thing that's mentioned is oh my god my hair in that picture oh I'm properly gurney in that one <laughs> look how many chins I've got <laughs> yeah look at all my chins oh my eyelashes <laughs> you know? look at the ridiculous claw I have for a hand hey leave the claw alone <laughs> That's my speedy claw. It comes out when I'm running really fast, as fast as I can. You're a forward. It's not that fast, love. Well, you can say nothing until you're back on the bloody pitch. <laughs> it's because I don't run fast that I can actually call you out on that. Yeah, no. I'm not standing on the moral high ground. Having watched the VO, I'm not running fast either. But in my head, I'm running like Olympian. <laughs> and it's all because of the claw. <laughs> love that so much i do scroll through the pictures just to see if i can spot the claw before anyone else <laughs> it's like, like a competition now yeah it's the claw competition like where's wally where's the claw oh. yeah, definitely <laughs> apart from laura's claw like there's like you said i think matt or lou you said i run with my head one way like it's so funny to see people's positions and stuff like me she always looks the same in every photo katie's always pulling the worst face possible and i think scott kate's husband said there's a picture of deb's nicole and katie and it was like <laughs> the three stages of a one night stand there was like <laughs> the night when you take him home when you get back and it's a little bit dark and then the one where you wake up and you're like, that's not who I went to bed with. But he didn't actually specify who was who, which I oh, think Katie God. might have been the one where you wake up in the morning because her faces are honestly, with that weave and that face, it's just amazing. But the photographs that get taken are just incredible and it's a great showcase of the women's game. However, we all select very carefully which ones make our <laughs> Instagram cut. And there is definitely a filter applied. Yeah. yeah. If we're tagged, <laughs> we're like, oh, remove tag, remove tag. Looking at your hair at the weekend, Molly, you were in close contention with the barnet of Katie. Yeah, I looked like Braveheart. Yes. Yeah. So I curled my hair to go out on Saturday night and I normally have time for Holland's head to plait it because that's the best thing for my weave. And unfortunately, the under-15s game went over, so I lost my hairdressing appointment, which resulted in the Braveheart look. So uh, it won't be happening again. In your head, on the pitch, you look and feel athletic and all the rest of it. But it can be a really good motivator for shedding a bit of timber as well, can't it? I remember seeing a picture of myself playing rugby. It was at the moment where I attempted, I didn't complete, I attempted a sidestep or some kind of swerve. The ball's going one way, my eyes are going the other, and my belly's going in the opposite direction altogether because it hasn't caught up with my sidestep yet. Oh, I'm no. Like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome, Rachel. You're from a team in Ghana that is rugby league focused. Is that right? Yes, please. So tell me all about it. How did you get into rugby? <laughs> 
Okay, um, I got into rugby in 2017. I started with Union. A colleague of mine actually saw me in volleyball and decided to bring me into rugby. And I decided to take up the challenge. But I didn't go as a player. I went as a team manager of a rugby club. That is Titans Watson Club. And that's how I got into rugby here, rugby in general. Then in 2019, I moved to rugby league <laughs> because unfortunately for us our club was banned so oh no why well <laughs> there's a whole lot of things we don't want to delve into it today <laughs> so tell me all about rugby in ghana anyway it's not somewhere you normally associate with rugby well rugby is fairly new in ghana as you may already know by now but union has been here for a while a bit longer than league but then league is fairly new as it was introduced in 2012 but then due to some reasons, it was inactive for a while. And in 2019, it was revived by setting up the four clubs. And then that is how it started moving forward. And tell me a bit about your team as well. How did your team get set up? It's a long but short story anyway. I always wanted to set up my club because I felt I wanted to give the players a feel of um, the family-like kind of club. You know, a place where you feel at home. You enjoy the game whilst feeling like you're part of a family and taking part in decisions. So that's one of the things that actually motivated me to start my club. So initially, I was going to start in 2020, but <laughs> it wasn't really possible. But in 2021, when I resigned from my positions, I actually had a chance to start up my club. And that is how I started Accra Majestics Rugby League Club. Do you have lots of players that play with your team? Currently, I have nine ladies, which you know is not so easy getting. <laughs> and then I have 22 guys. Yeah, it's, it's very difficult getting ladies in Ghana. You know, it's new and <laughs> they are all scared. So we are trying our best to get more ladies involved. So currently we have nine and then we have 22 guys at the moment. We are still recruiting anyways. We are hoping to get more as time goes on. And how have you gone about recruiting those players? I actually used um, different methods, talking to some of my friends who are involved in other sports. And I actually convinced them to come and try rugby league. Since they do other sports, getting into rugby league wasn't so hard you know, get them involved. And I also got a few of my players from Union. There are some who used to play Union, but haven't been playing for a while. So I just spoke with them and encouraged them to come and try league. And fortunately, I got a few transfers from my old club. I used to be the team manager for Ghana Scholars. So I had a few of my players transferring to my club. And that's how I got it for the senior team. But with the junior side, we've actually started going to schools to introduce the sport to them. So we are hoping that with time, they will learn it and then we can recruit some of them into the junior side. So that's basically what we are doing now. And how have you found the transition from playing union to playing league? Honestly, don't take it the wrong way, but league is very interesting. It's so fun. <laughs> I, <laughs> I like the way we are, you know, the way we care about each other, the way we act. Everything is just wonderful. Yeah, so I think it was wonderful moving from Union to League. Union, I think, is very complicated as a sport, isn't it? I think for people who are new to it, it's more complicated yeah. than League. And League yeah. is very, very fast and physical, isn't it? Yes. You need a lot of stamina. You have to train a lot, you know. You have to train more so that at least you can run fast and run well. Or else you get very tired. To be able to run fast is a very good start. But obviously without the scrums and the, and the line-outs and the malls, then it doesn't have the same difference in body shapes, does it, that Rugby Union does? 
No, it doesn't. All body shapes are welcome. How did you become so passionate about rugby? Looking at your posts on social media, it's something that's a big love of yours, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I can say it for now. Rugby league is my first love. <laughs> well, honestly, I don't know how I fell so much in love with it. It's like the first time I actually saw my guys playing, it probably was love at first sight. Because I just fell in love with everything. It was just amazing. You know, with rugby, union, and league, the way you have to think whilst playing, it's like you use every part of you, your mind, your body, everything. And it's, it's just amazing. I just fell in love with it. <laughs> what about the coaching? How does the uh, coach interact with your team? Currently, we have a coach in Cameroon. I think probably you know about him, Kaleo Enjoya. He's a national team coach for Cameroon. Oh, wow. Rugby. Yeah, he's the one assisting us for the meantime. And I am the assistant coach. <laughs> I'm actually working. I was working on my coaching course last year, but I'm still on it. I'm not done. You know, so many things coming in and out. So I'm almost done with it. And hopefully when I'm done, I'll be a level one coach. Probably I can take it over from Kaleo. And in Ghana, are there many teams that you can play? Is it easy to get matches against opposition? Yeah, currently I can say we have about seven teams. For males, we have seven, active seven teams. And it makes the competition very interesting. Because now everybody will be fighting to win the cup. Women are a bit limited. Since we are now starting to develop that side. We just started in 2020. So we currently have about four of them active. So we are hoping to increase the number as time goes on. What are the main sports that women play in Ghana at the moment? We play a whole lot of sports. We play soccer. And there's hockey, there's basketball, there's rugby union and rugby league. And then athletics too, yeah, it's done here. Oh, and a whole lot of sports. <laughs> so it seems we actually participate in almost all the sports that the guys do. Just that not all, all the ladies play competitively. Some of them play just for fun. In terms of attracting women into the sport, it's, it's very difficult in the UK, even though rugby's widely played. But it's still quite difficult for grassroots teams, teams that are just starting and teams that are fairly new or in areas that are fairly remote or small to attract women into the teams. How do you go about trying to find new players? So normally when I see some of my friends or people I don't even know, I actually go to them to preach the rugby league gospel and then try to get them interested. And some are a bit um, hesitant at first. So I just invite them to just come and watch our training sessions or matches. And they pick up the interest. So mostly I just talk to people. That's what I do to get them involved. And in terms of the climate in Ghana, forgive me, I've not been to that part of Africa. I've been to South Africa and North Africa, but I've not been to, to that area. What is the climate like? Is it easy to train across all of the year or are there certain times where you can't play because it's either too hot or too wet? In Ghana, you can play all the year round, like except raining season, but... You can still manage because the players actually love playing the ring. All year round, you can train and you can play. Is it very easy for you to get areas to train and to get equipment to, to use to practice? Oh, not at all. It's very difficult. Even getting balls for training and matches is extremely difficult. Just as uh, something else and the training kits and equipment are something else. So normally we get it from outside, which is also very expensive because it gets to Ghana and you have to pay for customs and a lot of fees. So it's not easy getting those things here at all. So how do you go about doing it then? Is it you just have to work hard and, and hope that people get you kits or do you have to fundraise? How do you go about doing it? 
Uh, so far, we just get people donating some of the kits to us. You know, we have a lot of, let me say, fans and a lot of people who are watching what we are doing in Ghana. So they try to help any way they can. And they do that by donating some of the old kits or equipment from some of the clubs. And sometimes they also sponsor some of the jerseys and boots and other equipment. So that's how we've been able to get some of the equipment we have. How do you celebrate after matches? If you have a good game and you, you win a match or something, what do you do afterwards to enjoy the experience? <laughs> okay, currently my, my club is fairly new, so we've not really participated in a lot of matches. My previous club, the one I was normally in, normally we just, because we don't really have much money, we just congratulate the players. And then at the end of the year, the Federation organizes a party to celebrate everybody for taking part in the tournament stuff uh, that's basically what we do and sometimes the club also some of the clubs decide to organize a club party for their players to just encourage them at least those who have a little fans for them the rest of us we don't really have much to so just have to talk to the players and thank them then wait for the end of your party <laughs> it's so unfortunate <laughs> what is it about the actual sport itself that you love so much honestly everything with rugby league you can't even choose one of it the players are amazing. The sport itself is amazing. You use your physical aspect to run and chase people, tackle people. And you have to think whilst playing. You know, in rugby league, we mostly utilize the spaces instead of going in for the contact. You know, Union probably prefers more of the contact. But we prefer utilizing the spaces, maneuvering your way through, and then making the try. So you have to think. And that's something I like about it. You know, thinking, finding ways and means you can beat your opponent. Who's the best player on your team? My team? Damn, you want my other players to beat me. <laughs> but for <laughs> now, I can say they are all the best players. Most of them are new, but they are really putting up a good fight. Looking at yourself, Rachel, what has rugby given to you? Wow. Rugby league has given me everything, honestly. You know, I started as a team manager, right? And that's a union, and I moved to scholars as a team manager. And it opened a lot of doors for me, and I was able to meet a lot of people. And also, I became the women's coordinator. Who would have thought a nobody like me would become the women's coordinator for Ghana? It was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. From a zero to a hero. <laughs> I met a lot of people through that. Mm -hmm. It's great for making friends, isn't it? And you meet people that you wouldn't otherwise meet in any other walk of life. Exactly. And you learn a lot of things. There are so many things I didn't know I could do. But with rugby league and everything, I, I, I knew I could do it. What about the way you interact with the men's players then? How do the men's players react to the women playing with them? Oh, they're actually happy. Seeing the women, there's more like a source of motivation for them. They actually play better when the women are around. I don't know if they are trying to impress the women, or, but it's amazing. They play really, really extraordinarily well when the women are around. So I think it's, it's good. It's good. Do you manage to follow the game in other parts of the world as well? Are you able to watch it in different countries as well as in Ghana? It's hard. Unless probably YouTube. That's, I think, one of the places you can get to watch. Because getting access to those matches is very, very hard. <laughs> so sometimes we check a few things on YouTube probably to learn some things. And sometimes Instagram, you know, they post short um, videos of tries and stuff that's how we're able to watch some of these things to learn from it what are you looking to do with your team and and with the game as your experience develops over the next few years 
in the next few years i actually want my club to be the best okay let's say the best in ghana the top three in africa and to be among the top 10 in the world oh, and wow. we'll get there oh yeah i have big <laughs> ambitions <laughs> yeah we'll get there do you find that Ghanaian women are naturally good at that rugby? I think some nationalities have a natural affinity to certain sports, don't they? Yeah. We have a few women here who, like, sometimes I ask them if they are sure they've never played before. Because their first two attempts, they started playing wonderfully. So I think some of them are naturally gifted. And what are the main barriers that you face in Ghana when trying to play rugby league? Well, <laughs> there's a lot, you know... For Ghana, you know, um, rugby league is not really common here. And so far, those who know a bit of it sees a rugby league as a male-dominated sport. Okay, and then they have this misconception that rugby, rugby union or rugby league is for people with huge muscles, big people. So being a woman involved is very hard. When you try, people try to discourage you from playing because they think it's not a sport for you. You know, they try to discourage you. The stereotyping is one thing that's really affecting us. Affecting the women especially. Yes, so that's one of them. So because of that, I think we launched a campaign in 2020 to battle that. To let people know that rugby league is not about your body size, your age, your race. It's for everybody. So you can be as skinny as I am or as big as anyone, but you can still play. So that's one of the barriers. And you know... Um, fans <laughs> fans is one you know you may have the greatest or the brightest of ideas but if you don't have the financial support it's actually hard to get it done or put into reality so fans is one of our huge barriers and also the equipment and stuff you know we don't really have a lot and the, most of the jerseys we have in ghana are basically for the men and they decide to let us use some of it you know so it's hard and ladies don't really get a boost to play. We normally use our normal sneakers to play and it's not really encouraging. So that's some of the barriers we face there. And in terms of you as a person, Rachel, what is your life like in Ghana? It's very weird for me to talk to you because I've never been to, to that part of the world. I can't even imagine what it's like as a place. Well, okay, sports is actually my life. I've played sports since I was little. I was born to be in sports. So that's basically most of the things I do. And then I love movies. So, especially horror movies. It's just amazing. So I do that for fun. <laughs> horror movies is great. I work with um, the National Sports Authority. I'm a sports oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I have to develop the sports in Ghana. Every sport. And then That I'm sounds also like an there. amazing job. Yeah, it is. But it's very tiring. You know, getting people involved is, is, is a huge thing. <laughs> yeah, but... And you have to travel around a lot for your work as well? Yeah, but so far I haven't because I'm fairly new. I started just last year. What about Ghana itself? I mean, tell me a bit about the country. Oh, Ghana is actually an interesting place to be. I think one of these days we have to give you an invite or something that you come for a tour. It's very interesting. Yeah, we'll come on a tour, yeah. We'll bring my team on a tour to Ghana. Oh, yeah. They would love that. <laughs> they'd all get lost and they'd all get sunburned. Oh, no, right. they'd, all, they'd all disappear in the country somewhere. We'd never see them again, but it'd be amazing. No, I'll be here for you. I'll be your guide. I'll even get more people to make you feel comfortable. Ghana is actually an interesting place. Everybody is very welcoming and lovely. So when you get here, trust me, you wouldn't want to go back. Because they will take good care of you. Yeah, they'll actually, everybody... 
whether a player or a non-player, they will actually take good care of you. So Ghana is a very interesting place to be, aside the tourist attractions that you can visit. It's, it's Interesting. Is where you live near the coast or are you more inland? I'm closer to the coast. And in terms of your personal dreams, I guess, within the game, you know, you've talked a bit about your team being the best in, in Africa and so on. What about you as a person and as a player? What do you hope to do with the game? Honestly, for me, <laughs> because of an injury I have, it will be very hard for me to like play for long professionally. So I'll probably be doing most of the administrative work promoting my players and also I want to get to a place where anytime rugby league is mentioned my name comes in mind or anytime my <laughs> name is mentioned rugby league comes in mind that is where I want to get to let's hope so I don't know much about the rugby league game for women in the UK because rugby league and rugby union are fairly separate I know it's a fairly popular sport in certain parts of the country but I don't think it's quite as big as, as rugby union is here but don't um, worry if you're yeah. rugby union anytime they mention rugby my name will come in mind <laughs> I'm so grateful that you took the time to talk to me today I think it's fascinating hearing about you and I think what we need to do is arrange a big tour of Ghana with oh, the, um, the, the women's rugby teams in the UK and we'll come over and you can teach us all how to play rugby league. Oh, definitely. Uh, it would be amazing. It would be amazing. I hope that um, your team is successful and I hope that you continue to grow. Thank you. And I look forward to seeing some pictures and videos of when you've got a full team and you're out there competing. Definitely. I'll send them to you. Don't worry. <laughs> we look at the series of ideas and the program to follow the blueprint for growing a team. So we talked about coaching, we talked about captaincy, we talked about planning in previous episodes. And I think now probably recruitment's the, the big thing, isn't it? Recruitment has to be an ongoing, all-encompassing thing from the day you start to the day you finish pretty much. When you're just setting up a team, what's the best advice we can come up with for other teams listening about getting people involved? Tell them that it's non-contact. To lie to them, basically. <laughs> lie. Yeah. yeah, lie. Lie. That'll be a nice surprise when they arrive. <laughs> say, say there's free food and free drink, and it's just a bit of exercise. It's get fit, women only. Yeah. Don't show Dubs's footage of her getting absolutely banged. That's yeah. probably a, a not to do. And if anyone would like to see said footage, I'm sure Dubs will uh, share it far and wide because she took it like a champ. Oh, I, I think Instagram, couldn't you, Mom? Oh, I could actually, but that's a bit unfair. We've, we've already ripped her for a trigger finger. I feel we might get done for bullying. It's fine. I, I can take nah, it. Grand. I can take it. <laughs> All right. I'll upload now. On a serious note, I think teams have reported quite a lot of success. And I think it's probably fair to say we have as well from having uh, a fitness program that's non-contact, that runs alongside normal training or even better in the off season. So doing it end of April and right through to the pre-season period and actually having a fitness-based approach. Could be anything from hit sessions to touch rugby, uh, to just general fitness and getting those individuals to be involved in a rugby environment gradually introduce the rugby element you may well find players you won't find loads and loads of players because a lot of people will be quite happy just doing the fitness work and not wanting to get involved in the contact but then what you do find is people who have never experienced it before suddenly think crikey this is awesome i love it yeah i'm not saying but i am also saying lie to them initially but i think actually starting off as sort of a non-contact and a purely fitness just for women session but involving some rugby skills is a really easy way to ease women into rugby who are a bit nervous about it 
initially nervous, you know, because you watch rugby on the TV and you watch men's teams play and you think, oh my God, that just looks like I'm going to break if that had happened to me. But I'd really like to play rugby, but I don't want to do that. And I think it's, it's just a really sort of easy way into it you can either decide to stay just for the fitness enjoy a bit of the handling or then progress into doing some contacts and joining the main squad I agree because I think when I speak to people about playing rugby they kind of go oh I couldn't do that and they've got that impression like you said Lou that it's going to be really aggressive you know and it's like actually if you come you, you can build up to that to kind of where you feel comfortable and also not everybody's going to be doing the same sort of thing on the team so some people will be more in that kind of forwards grunt work but probably less speed whereas you know you might be like really good at sprinting so actually you've got a really great advantage to bring to the team in different ways so I think it is that kind of enabling people to come and give it a go without having that pressure of oh god it's a really intense because that's I think some of the problems that you have when you're playing at a higher level will get people coming and it's like actually especially in your like mid-season playing at a quite high level and we need to keep this level and momentum going so as you said out of season and giving people the opportunity to try and just do a bit of fitness and then kind of try a bit of touch rugby and then learn some skills so that when you're coming into pre-season they're building up to that and I think the other thing that I think is helping us with some of our player retention at the moment so we're recruiting people but we've got the development team as well so they're getting the opportunity to play against people who are in the same position as them so it's they're not feeling like they're massively out of their depth they're kind of going actually yeah I'm watching other people and they're at the same level as me so I think that's really helped us I think. That's interesting what you're saying Laura because actually if you're a brand new women's team you're pretty much all at the same level so it's easy to start at the non-contact easygoing fun relaxed non-physical standard but when you're a grassroots team that more established and playing at a high grassroots level I think it's really difficult to recruit players then because you're going to have women who've never played rugby before or quite young players coming into the squad that's doing quite complex stuff and quite physical stuff as well but I know we're talking about grassroots starting a new team so I think the best way forward is to start as a softly, softly approach and build. Totally, yeah. Two bits of advice I'd give, really. First of all is join up with other teams in your area if you can, because whilst there's naturally going to be a bit of suspicion about stealing players, in reality, that doesn't often happen. But being able to join up on things like joint training sessions, trial games, friendly fixtures, all this sort of stuff, just gives you that critical mass sometimes to make people feel like they're part of something that's going somewhere rather than just be three or four players chucking a ball around on a Friday night or something, which it can be. You know, that can be things like university teams, you know, those that are close to universities. It's growing like mad in the university system. And if you can find one locally that's got a few players who want to join up and do some work together, then it can make a big difference to your overall squad. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think sometimes what happens is we get teams that want to play a game and they go, oh, well, we can't play because we've only got six players or whatever. What I'd say is I'd encourage you, no matter how many people you have down for training or how many people you have potentially for a game, even if you play 8v8 or 10v10 or 12v12 or you lend players, you know, whatever that is, just keep going and persevering and do the training sessions because if you keep it consistent, people will keep coming, even if it's one every month, and then you'll get your squads. And I think that's what we were really good at, Matt, 
as a team is even when we've got four people on a Friday night in the piss wet, we'd always have a really good session, go for a pint after. And it's about building that social environment so people have an outlet to just let off some steam. And then you just build that culture. It's very easy on a Friday night when it's pissing it down or it's boiling hot and you want to go to the pub to just go, actually, you know what, we've only got eight tonight, let's bin it off. But then you lose that forward momentum. And I think if you've got momentum, you can build. If you stop, then you have to go back to scratch. And I think that's what's the downfall of some teams. I always said that if you want to train our coach, it doesn't matter if there's one of you or 25 of you. And I have done sessions with two, two or three people in the past. And what's it think, oh, this is going to be awkward and test your coaching metal a little bit. And you start to feel like it's not really going anywhere. Actually, you can do some really good sessions with those individuals and that, and some of the skills you can teach them on a one-on-one basis can give them a real head start when the squad starts to grow again. Something I'd add as well, I think, which is really important, we rely very, very heavily on social media. Everyone does. All the different teams out there are quite creative. Some of them are brilliant at it. Some of them, it's just a few pictures and a few posts here and there. But don't overlook things like engaging with local press and different groups on social media. So we often, if you like, preach to the converted. And we're basically in an echo chamber where everybody thinks the way we do. But it's really good advice, I think, to go and find different pockets of people that are in your area that are maybe doing something totally different. And also get in touch with the local paper. If you find the local paper, find the sports reporter or the person that's responsible for editing that part of the newspaper and ask them, how do I get a copy into the newspaper? What's your copy deadline? What format do you want it in? Do you accept pictures? What type of pictures do you want? And really get to understand how they work. Then you can find they'll print your stuff. It makes their life easy if you're sending things by the copy deadline in the right format, the right kind of word count with a really good picture. They will print it every time. And we, for a long, long time, dominated the back pages as a ladies' team. Well, apart from the, the football, of course. You know, We were in the paper every single time because that's what we did. We found out how it worked and did what they wanted to do. It drove the men's section mad because they were like, why aren't we in the paper and the ladies are? And that's why. Funnily enough, so there's a lady that I work with, Karen, she plays for a different team that we're kind of like halfway between. So I said, oh, actually, because we work for a university, we've got quite a big staff base. And I said, well, why don't we do like a bit of an introductory session at the university for staff so that if they want to give it a go, they might decide if they live further south, might join Karen's team. If they live a bit further north, they could come and join ours if they're really interested. So yeah, I think it's just trying different things, isn't it? To try and break down some of the barriers that will stop people coming and, and giving it a go in the first instance. Totally. If you find a Facebook group and it's like, I don't know, for sale in Crew and Nantwich and you put a rugby post in, the worst that's going to happen is they'll either remove it in the first place because it's not appropriate or you get a bit of stick from a few people. So what? You might find three players, you know. And now we remember our fallen teammates who laid down their mobility and dignity in the noble struggle against the tyranny of skill and athleticism. Laura Williams, crew and Antwich ladies, substantial bang to the head. Shannon, Exeter Saracens, dislocated shoulder after high off the ball tackle. Lauren, also Exeter Saracens, Bertie Try scoring ankle. Jodie Hines, podcast crew, mental health. Get well soon, Jodie. We miss you. Charlotte, 
Exeter Saracens. Pregnancy. Congratulations, Charlotte. They shall grow not cold, as we that are left grow cold. Breakdowns shall not weary them, nor the muds condemn. At the going down of the scrum and in the mauling, we will remember them. To our fallen comrades, we salute you. I have got to go and coach now. Yeah, someone's messaged me tonight to say, is Molly actually coaching tonight? Or because it's a Tuesday, is it sex night? (laughs) Oh, yeah. It is normally Tuesday, isn't it? You're missing out tonight. Well, no, because it was a big game on Sunday, so I think I'm going to have to push it back to us tomorrow morning, squeeze it in before training. No, Tuesday's not always sex night in my house. No, no, no. Do you know what? I can't wait for the (laughs) off-season. Talking of grassroots teams and things like that, Chomes Happel, our favourite team, didn't have a kicking tee on, on Saturday, so we're using what? a cone. Nice. Oh, great. They only had 14 on Friday and they managed to grab an extra player who left at half-time to go to a gig. So they went back down to 14 for the second half. That's so grassroots. But one of the opposition came and uh, joined their team, which was really good of them. I thought that was really nice. That was nice. He was the best one! He <laughs> <It> was <laughs> unbelievable! What I want to talk about is so grassroots is that on Sunday, the match day sponsor was a fishery. Fishmonger. Yes, love The it. salmon. So we were fully expecting a whole salmon to be player of the match prize. I was properly waiting to take a picture of it for the podcast. But no, we just got a banner and a plastic lobster. I got a <laughs> bottle of Prosecco. Oh, well, yeah. If I was player of the match and the match day sponsor was a fishery, I'd want a salmon. Did you want a salmon, Polly? Do you know that I can't cook and I would have been going, Louise, please, can you cook said salmon for me? <laughs> uh, yes, absolutely. Also, here's one salmon fillet. I've had the rest. <laughs> yeah. And, and on that fishy note, I'm going to training. Grassroots News with Lou. This is the first week where Lou's news hasn't been hijacked by the shout out. So that's great. Uh, There's quite a bit to talk about, really. First thing is, and we have touched on this already, but there's lots of teams out there at the moment and they're all after friendlies due to the end of season and trying to catch up on fixtures and trying to squeeze in the fixtures before the end of season. So it's all getting a little bit frantic out there. And I do suspect that there'll be lots of teams out there this season that will have probably not fulfilled all their fixtures, certainly not be able to fulfil them all from now to the end of season. There's lots of that going on in the Women's Rugby Network and throughout the leagues, but also the ground's starting to just get a little bit harder as well. So what we need 
isn't it, Dobbs? Yeah. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit, yeah. Yeah. So I think what we saw on Sunday was the match at Crown Nantwich was actually the ground's really solid. We've gone like from one extreme to the other. So it's been like a bog for I don't know how many months. And now all of a sudden, within the space of two weeks, it's almost concrete. Good luck to anyone who's playing fixtures on those really, really tough pitches. We went from real extremes from playing in the snow to uh, needing sun cream. I'm not entirely sure which one I prefer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's something quite comical from a spectator's perspective as well. When the kicks go up, the players are used to the ball bouncing about an inch off the ground. All of a sudden, it bounces 10 feet off the ground in a different direction. In a weird direction, yeah. yeah. which makes for quite comical viewing sometimes. I'd much rather watch rugby in the dry with a bit of sun on my back, if I'm brutally honest. So this weekend, watching two rugby matches, I ended up with sunburn twice as a spectator. But I suppose that's better than getting windburn or frostbite. Yeah, and as a player, I suppose you're you're more likely to have a bigger crowd if it's not uh, absolutely peeing it down or people are dying of hypothermia. Really big news, obviously, is that the Women's Six Nations starts Saturday the 26th. It starts with uh, Scotland versus England and Ireland versus Wales. And then Sunday, uh, it's France versus Italy. Obviously, I think this podcast will go out after these fixtures have been played. But what's really interesting and quite exciting for me, actually, is that this is the first time in history that will all be available to watch for fans in full on TV and that's across all six nations. I think that's a pretty landmark situation for people who have got regular TV and not access to some weird streaming service. So I'm really excited to watch all of the matches. And actually on a serious note, watch it one thing that's always like really always gets thrown back when the broadcasters are criticized for not putting it on is well we put it on and nobody watches it get it on sit down with your friends and a beer and enjoy it and get your daughters your friends to watch it as well even if they don't enjoy it at least try and encourage them to have a go at watching it because we can't keep bleating about how the game doesn't get enough coverage we don't the game doesn't get enough support and all the rest of it if we're not actually engaging with it as well so i will certainly be watching it and i hope you all will be too it's on BBC Two on Sunday. It's on iPlayer. You can't get much better than that. So, you know, lap it up. Two very last bits. So, No Woman, No Try is out on Friday. And I've noticed that on um, various women's rugby networks on Facebook, there's some clubs showing that at their club on Friday. So, that's great. So, obviously, if you're around one of those clubs that is showing that, please go down and give that a watch. Talking to Victoria on the last episode amount of work and effort and thought that's gone into it if nothing else it's a great moment for the game so more people can get together and watch it the better i think and finally we are bordering on a quite exciting for some part of the season and that is of course that sevens tournaments are just starting to be announced and you can book for them and you can plan all your mini festivals and go camping and all that sort of stuff. So personally, it's never been really something that's appealed to me. As you all know, <laughs> I'm not a sevens player. I'm not a fast player. I'm an old school prop. But Built for comfort, not speed, I think is the term. Luke. That is the one, yeah. 
But it is a really exciting time of the season where you're not trudging around in the mud and the snow. You can have a really fun, fast-paced game and they're a bit quicker, as in length of matches. They're like mini festivals. It's a bit like tour. And I know a lot of clubs actually do make them these sevens tournaments their tours. So look out on Facebook on the Women's Rugby Networks and see where there might be one local to you. Having been on uh, two before, they certainly are a lot of fun. Um, and I yeah. suspect there's quite good stories from them. I think the, the phrase, what goes on tour stays on tour, is needed. Or in our case, what goes on tour goes on the podcast. <laughs> if we remember it, yeah. that's the problem. <laughs> Absolutely. By all means, write in using pseudonyms and hiding the name of your club. But yes, we're definitely interested in any sevens tour stories that come about. The more ridiculous, the better. So thanks, everybody, for listening. We're approaching a big landmark in Podland as well. We're very close to nearly 10,000 downloads, which is a big, big deal for us. So thanks to everybody for listening. And please, 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 please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify if you're using those platforms. It's a two-second job, and it makes a huge difference to how visible we are, which means that we can share the love around the different clubs in the UK and overseas. And we also have been picking up some listeners from, from far-flung places recently, which has been quite interesting. So there seems to be quite a devoted following in Turkey. So if you're listening from Turkey, get in touch. We'd love to know all about what you're up to over there. All the best for the rest of the season. As we were getting this podcast ready for release, we learnt about the tragic death of Maddie Lawrence, the winger for University of West of England after a serious injury on the pitch. We are from time to time reminded of the dangers we face when playing rugby, but to see someone so young pass away within the game is absolutely shocking. We send our love and condolences to Maddie's family, who are no doubt going through some unimaginable shock and pain, and also to her teammates and coaches. To see a player injured is always an incredibly distressing thing, But to lose somebody in such terrible circumstances doesn't bear thinking about. We are already seeing the rugby community rally to support those affected, which is always touching and a good reminder of our values, even in such terrible situations. So from all of us at Grassroots, best wishes, stay tight and look after each other. We are all thinking of you. So that takes us to the end of the show. Thanks, as always, for listening and supporting the podcast. If you want to feature on Grassroots, please get in touch at grassrootswomen at hotmail.com. A brilliant finish. This was Grassroots, women's rugby on the roots up.